Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Guglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Taylor Justice. Taylor is the co-founder and president of Unitas, a technology company that facilitates coordination of care for patients with multiple barriers to health. He is passionate about social issues and implementing technology and collaboration within the health, human, and social service sectors. So Taylor, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me. Can you start by telling our audience a bit more about your background and some of the key points in your career? My background comes from the U.S. military. I was a U.S. Army infantry officer, graduated from West Point, and commissioned in 2006. Unfortunately, was medically discharged, and through that experience of dealing with the VA and finding a new job and finding a place to live, just noticed the inefficiency of military veterans transitioning into the quote-unquote civilian sector. Uh, Unfortunately, didn't struggle, landed in Philadelphia, and quickly got involved with veteran nonprofit organizations as a volunteer, and realized that people were having needs across multiple sectors and really was the spark for starting Unite Us and really filling a void that we noticed in the market. That's great. And first of all, you know, we just celebrated Veterans Day, so thank you for your service as well. We've had several RaiseLine guests who have connections to the VA, including Dave Shulkin, who I'm sure you've come across. He was the secretary of the VA. Yeah. And then our, our chief of staff, Max, used to work for Tammy Duckworth, who I know is very passionate as a senator from Illinois for VA initiatives and issues. So can you tell us a bit more about what Unitas does besides the cursory introduction I gave at the beginning? Yeah, Unitas is a community-wide care coordination platform. And that, that word community is really important. Often in healthcare, we are trying to solve people's needs within the four walls of a clinical setting. But research done by Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and other academics is that 80% of someone's overall health and well-being happens in the community, where they live, where they eat, with their families, their communities, everything. And Unite Us really saw a void in the market as we started to move from this fee-for-service value-based healthcare model to include human and social service agencies as part of that holistic care. And Unite Us is a technology platform that connects health, human, social service organizations across public, private, nonprofit entities to securely exchange data around a shared patient, member, client, however they're defined, to ensure no one falls through the cracks. So our technology platform extends the traditional clinical care coordination network by including those human and social service agencies. That's amazing. I mean, can you give us a a bit of a sense of kind of when you founded it, uh, how many lives you reached at this point through Unitas, and and then like what the secret sauce is really behind the tech-enabled approach that you've taken to helping with care coordination within the community? Unitas was founded in 2013, again, initially just focused on the veteran and military population. So myself and my fellow co-founder both had a military background, and we started to build these networks of health, human, social service agencies, again, only targeted at the veteran population and realized that the challenges the veteran and military community face are not unique. They just happen to be this perfect petri dish of American society when you look at age, race, socioeconomic status. And the majority of organizations participating in these networks weren't just veteran serving. They were state and local government, healthcare entities, education entities that obviously service the larger population. Uh, but the commonality between all of them, they had a veteran military program. 
And so we saw that our platform, regardless of population or regardless of the organization and the services that they provided, could connect people to these needed services and prove that they received them. And so we expanded in 2015-16 timeframe to focus on being population agnostic and service provider agnostic. We now represent appropriate public health infrastructure in 42 plus states across the country. And the ultimate goal is that anybody that needs to connect into human, social, or healthcare services will touch, engage, or ride across Unitas in some shape or fashion. We're building appropriate public health infrastructure nationally and focusing our platform on the individual in need, whereas historically, technology solutions or government solutions are there more to support a program or an initiative where we focus on the individual that no matter what door they walk into, be it public, private, or nonprofit, they have access to this larger network and, again, to prove that they have received the services that they were seeking. Yeah, and one thing I love about your approach is, again, just understanding that people are, are unique, but also they live within these communities. And oftentimes they need a lot more support than just that one visit with a primary care doc every year or the regular visits with a psychiatrist. There's so many social determinants of health, which is a concept that I learned about in medical school. But, you know, we didn't really learn much about how to coordinate care between the different players on a care team. But I think that's obviously been changing. Is there any evidence that uh, addressing social determinants of health and coordination of care actually helps improve outcomes or reduces costs in the healthcare system? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of academic studies that have been accomplished in real world evidence-based studies that have been done. You can see them for singular service categories. So think of food, think of connecting people to transportation where 25% of individuals are missing appointments because they don't have a way to get there. Uh, you also see groupings around particular populations. So think of maternal health, opioid addiction, food insecurity, frail and elderly. And each of those population groups have evidence-based solutions that if you can address these social determinants, it has a financial impact on the cost of healthcare, but also improving their health. And that's really what the focus area is. What there hasn't been in the market is proof of scale. And that's really where Unitas came in. And we saw an opportunity where we have a number of different product lines that we deploy. Most people know us for our flagship product, which is called Unitas Platform. So that's that community-wide care coordination platform. It's better known as kind of the mesh between systems of record. We're not going to replace an electronic health record. We're not going to replace a care management platform that a health plan might have. We're not going to replace a government's benefits and enrollments technology, but we need to integrate with them. So this mesh between systems of record allow these bigger institutions to better coordinate care around that shared individual in need. And so when you have that infrastructure, think of it as a supply chain. Now you can do a lot of really cool things on top of it. Not only can we look at the data and analytics, there's tons of data and analytics companies out there that take publicly available data from LexisNexis or somewhere else and create a social risk score or create population health data sets that allow us to look at heat maps within a particular community. No one's really looking at what's tactically happening on the ground. And so Unite Us can take that publicly available data, marry it with what's happening within a community to have a very, very tight shot group of what are the needs for this individual within the community that they live and the supply that's available based on food, housing, employment, education, 
what we know as the, the social determinants. And really the scale portion of that rolls into what we're building with United's payments, which creates an economic relationship between healthcare and social care. We're moving from fee-for-service to value-based healthcare because there is an ROI for health systems and health plans to participate and engage with these community-based organizations. We're providing the mechanism with not only connections to these organizations, but the financial incentive as well. So if I can remove moldy carpet from someone's home in an efficient and cost-effective way, I might have a better chance of treating asthma. I might have a better chance of ensuring that this person stays in that home if they have an employable wage. I make sure that someone with diabetes can adhere to a healthy food plan if they have a home to go into and a refrigerator that they can store produce and other materials. And so when we, again, think about holistic care, human and social services are operating on pen and paper, Excel sheets, the dreaded wall full of brochures. If you've ever gone into your primary care doctor, that's, that's our referral mechanism across the country. It's not sufficient. And so bringing those human and social service agencies into the 21st century with a technology solution that's seamless, easy to use, and connects them into the behemoth that is healthcare allows us to have the infrastructure to provide that scale and provide these intervention models that allow us to, again, improve health while reducing the cost of healthcare. And so our view of the marketplace is that to truly incentivize healthcare to care about social care is it needs to impact their bottom line. And that's really what we're trying to focus on of how can we put human and social service agencies at the same priority level as healthcare and facilitate an economic relationship. That is fascinating. I love those examples that you provided. And, you know, one of our other guests that we've had in the podcast is a gentleman named Dr. Sachin Jain, who, when he ran Care More Health, initiated this collaboration with Lyft to help reduce the number of missed appointments because of transportation issues. I know Davida has a similar thing with Uber, I believe. And I'm curious, like everyone's heard of companies like Handy or Thumbtack and these massive networks of people who can do the social services that you were mentioning, like moving mold from the house of someone who may have asthma. Are those even the kind of companies you would eventually integrate with and provide like a scalable way for someone to um, get, you know, their, their home fixed up if they had that need? Yeah, the short answer is yes. When we talk about community-wide, we truly mean it. And it could be an organization like Handy. It could be a community church. It could be a barbershop. And so what we're building is infrastructure and we're meeting the community wherever they congregate. And so in certain communities in North Carolina, we have barbershops that are access points to a greater network. You want people to feel comfortable. And in certain settings, like a barbershop, People are willing to open up or say, hey, I might need assistance in X, Y, and Z. Now, that barbershop isn't necessarily going to provide food or housing or transportation, but they can connect that individual to a provider in the community. A provider here is defined as health, human, social. It's not just healthcare, And so they become a conduit. So we want to have infrastructure where regardless of the door you walk in, regardless of the organization and the services that they provide, there is a solution or an opportunity for those organizations to participate within this greater network because it needs to involve all sectors. Again, healthcare is almost 20% of our GDP in the country. 
and what we are looking to do is reallocate some of that spend to these human and social services. So again, we can take care of people holistically. That requires multiple sectors coming together and coordinating around that individual need. Hmm. In, in that specific example of a barbershop, I'm curious, what's the incentive of the barbershop? I mean, obviously they care about their customers and there's a there's a conduit there, but would they be paid for referrals? How do you get them on board with the system? Yeah, so it's not necessarily them being paid for referrals. I think it starts with what you started with, if they care about their customers. You know, they're already talking about things that are going on in the community, could be just general gossip, could be about a sports game, or it could be like, hey, I need assistance with X, Y, and Z. You know, just as they would say, hey, go to the local church, or have you tried this other organization? What we're doing is we're operationalizing that manual process or that conversation, where now that barbershop can be an access point and can easily say, hey, you need assistance because I care about you. Let me connect you to an organization that that might be able to help. And it really empowers that organization to address needs as they uncover them. I think in the future, there could be potential for a barbershop to be financially incentivized. You see health plans today that are playing health systems to do social determinants of health screeners. But what if you did that in the community and provided these other organizations that have more touch points, spend more time with these individuals and you incentivize them to ask a couple of questions. Hey, do you have enough food to eat? Do you have an employable wage? Do you have a place to sleep tonight? Those are access points that will drive success, not only for healthcare, but government. And uh, what we're trying to do again is extend that support network to not just be clinical support, but holistic. That's fascinating. So shifting gears a bit, you know, we launched this podcast because of COVID. The, the concept of raising line is how do we strengthen the healthcare system so that regardless of this pandemic or future shocks to the healthcare system, we have enough healthcare workers, we have enough social support, and clearly you're helping provide care beyond the walls of a hospital or health system or a clinic, which is a great approach. How has COVID affected your operations at Unitas, and, and what do you think some of the long-term changes are going to be to Unitas and the healthcare system as a result of COVID? Yeah, I mean, there are second and third order effects of the pandemic, both clinically, people that have it, while the death rate is relatively low, the effects of people going into the hospital are hospitals being at capacity. There are also second and third order effects in the community. And what we've seen from the pandemic is people at unprecedented levels are accessing human and social services, sometimes for the very first time, meaning they lost their job or they don't have access to childcare anymore where they might not be able to go back to work or you see a large number of families having to make the hard decision of one parent continuing with a full-time employment and the other one staying home to take care of the children. That creates an economic burden on that family. And so if they have to then access human and social services for food, for housing, for income assistance, our systems in states aren't set up to support that influx. And so the the second and third order effects of the pandemic is the spotlight that states are now starting to see of their lack of appropriate public health infrastructure. So for Unite Us over the past seven to eight months, we've had a number of states that have selected Unite Us to build the infrastructure. Uh, And we've had 15 new statewide contracts that we're building out to connect health, human, social service organizations into this common infrastructure. And so for us, 
it's unfortunate what the countries had to go through, but fortunate that our team was there ready to scale and could build out this infrastructure to address the need in real time and build what we're calling rapid response networks, really focusing on these emergency basic need providers. And so we, you know, as a venture funded technology company that raised our last financing around 18 to 20 months ago, our team has grown 7x since then. And a majority of that has happened in the past eight months. And it's just because the need is so great that governments to better govern need to have the data of what's happening tactically on the ground so that they can make better decisions and we can allocate resources to where they need to go. Just as we saw kind of the shortage of PPE and ventilators and all of the different clinical tools that were needed to address the clinical response to COVID. States are also having to do that around food and access to care and making sure that people are remaining in quarantine if they need to. And our team has been there to kind of answer that call in these 15 states. And I only see that increasing. I think moving forward uh, in 2021 and 2022, the focus on appropriate public health infrastructure should be priority number one, because it's impossible to address all of these needs by handing somebody a phone book and saying, hey, try these resources. You need to not only know that they showed up, but that they actually received that care. And if they didn't, why? Is it because there is no capacity in that community? Is it because eligibility requirements are too stringent? Maybe we need to change some policy, but it's also how do we allocate government dollars, philanthropic dollars, community benefit dollars? There's a lot of components that need to be addressed if we're actually going to help states move to a place of recovery. And it's hard to do that if you don't have the infrastructure. Uh, And we're starting to see, like I said, a number of states across the country that is like, okay, we need to address this and we need to address it now. It's wonderful that you guys have been there in a position ready to scale to help support more and more states dealing with these issues that I totally agree with you are going to last for many years to come, given how much unemployment there's been and psychological distress there's been in communities. Evictions obviously are at an all-time high. You know, we are an education company. Uh, We do a lot of training for health professionals, and we've seen a dramatic increase in the demand for training up other types of care providers, like nursing assistants, home health aides, obviously a lot of need for psychology and psychological health providers. Is that something that you all are seeing as well? And how do you plug those caregivers or providers into the infrastructure? Everything from maybe like the COVID contact tracers to, you know, MDs who are needing to do telehealth now as opposed to in-person visits. Honestly, you can replace the services that's being provided, primary care, health system, health plan, behavioral health care, food, transportation, everybody's facing very similar issues. People that come in have these uh, dynamic needs, uh, and often we're seeing people come in with more than two needs that need to be addressed at a given time. And often those organizations don't provide those multiple needs. And so the need to coordinate care is is super important, Um, and it's across the board. And there's phases to care as well. It's not just episodic. Okay, I send somebody to a food pantry and their food problems are solved. No, there's probably an economic issue there. There could be a behavioral health issue there. If someone's coming out of the justice system, they might not be able to leverage government assistance. They have to be dependent upon that nonprofit network in the community that has the ability to provide services to them. And so when you get into specific populations, there are specific needs that they might have. But ultimately, regardless of the title of the population or regardless of the service provider, they need to connect with complementary services in their community. So you provide this wraparound services. You can't do it with onesies and twosies or just line of sight type of services anymore. It has to be holistic. 
and we have to operate and collaborate across sectors. And I think that's one of the big learnings that we've seen from the pandemic is no one can do this alone. And if we're not collaborating collectively, we're missing the mark. And I think in healthcare generally, we've been so focused on creating these siloed and, and competitive networks where that needs to change up a little bit, especially around social determinants of health. We shouldn't have health plans, health systems, and government competing on connections to community-based organizations. They should be competing on the services that they're providing their patients, their members, their clients. And so these broad networks where everybody's operating within the common ecosystem, I think is the way of the future. And you will start to see clinical behavioral health and these social services as the standard moving forward. Whereas right now it's kind of like one-off type of relationships in a community. No, it's going to be across broad service categories and thousands of organizations in a community or across the state. That's a, definitely a vision I think we can get behind too. So I know we're coming up in time. So my last question for you is, you know, what advice would you give to our audience, which mostly comprises current and future healthcare providers, professionals, about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond? You know, I, that's, that's a very loaded question. I will do my best. I think um, as healthcare professionals, if we're truly going to provide services or an environment that improves health, it can't happen within just our four walls anymore. You have to reach out and connect into your communities. You have to connect to these human and social service agencies, and you need to think of them as your peers, not just another support system in the community. The market itself is going to change where We are going to start to reallocate healthcare spend to these human and social services. It will become the standard within a three to five year period. That is my prediction. And within that, we are going to start to look at holistic care and prescribing food, prescribing access to maybe a government benefit or access to a covered benefit that health plans start to pick up. They do it a little bit here and there with MA population and and some on the Medicaid population, but I think that will become a standard. And so I think as you practice, how do I pull in these human and social services into my care plan for an individual or into my prescriptions for an individual? And then how do I get them to adhere to that? And how do I make it easy for them to access those services? I really think, how can I incorporate these human and social services to be at the top of mind? of the folks that are listening to your podcast of how I actually improve someone's overall health and well-being. That's an exciting vision and I I hope our audience takes it to heart. I definitely know when I was in med school, I could have benefited from learning more about social determinants of health and how to access and coordinate care across the community. So with that, Taylor, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm Shiv Gulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.